Let's now take our Bibles and let's read from the Word of God. Let's read from the Gospel according to John. John chapter 14, verses 1 through to 24. John chapter 14, 1 through to 24, we read here the Word of God. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. The proclamation of the Lord this afternoon is, is a doctrine of Holy Scripture as summarized for us in our confessions. We'll have a look at Lord's Day 8, and also at the Athanasian Creed. So let's first of all look at Lord's Day 8. Lord's Day 8, we have the following questions and answers. How are these articles divided, that is the 12 articles, the Apostles' Creed, into three parts? First is about God the Father and our creation. A second, about God the Son and our redemption. A third, about God the Holy Spirit and our sanctification. Since there is only one God, 
why do you speak of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Because God has so revealed himself in his word that these three distinct persons are the one true eternal God. Let us now also turn to our Athanasian Creed, where we read the first 28 articles. We find that on page 495. Whoever desires to be saved must, above all things, hold to the Catholic faith. Unless a man keeps it in its entirety inviolate, he will assuredly perish eternally. Now this is the Catholic faith, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, with, without either confusing the persons or dividing the substance. For the Father's person is one, and the Son's another, the Holy Spirit another. But the Godhead of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is one. Their glory is equal, their majesty is co-eternal. Such as the Father is, such is the Son, such is also the Holy Spirit. The Father is uncreate, the Son uncreate, the Holy Spirit uncreate. The Father is infinite, the Son infinite, the Holy Spirit infinite. The Father is eternal, the Son eternal, the Holy Spirit eternal. Yet there are not three eternals, but one eternal. Just as there are not three uncreates, or three infinites, but one uncreate and one infinite. In the same way, the Father is almighty, the Son almighty, the Holy Spirit almighty, yet there are not three almighties, but one almighty. Thus the Father is God, the Son God, the Holy Spirit God. Yet there are not three gods, but there is one God. Thus the Father is Lord, the Son Lord, the Holy Spirit Lord. And yet there are not three lords, but there is one Lord. Because just as we are compelled by the Christian truth to acknowledge each person separately to be both God and Lord, so we are forbidden by the Catholic religion to speak of three gods or lords. The Father is from none, not made, nor created, nor begotten. The Son is from the Father alone, not made, nor created, but begotten. The Holy Spirit is from the Father and the Son, not made, nor created, but, uh, nor begotten, but proceeding. So there is one Father, not three fathers, one Son, not three sons, one Holy Spirit, not three Holy Spirits, and in this Trinity there is nothing before or after, nothing greater or less, but all three persons are co-eternal with each other and co-equal. Thus in all things, as has been stated above, both Trinity and unity and unity and Trinity must be worshipped. So he who desires to be saved should think thus of the Trinity thus far. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the previous Lord's Day, Lord's Day 7, after summarizing the two components of the true faith, the sure knowledge and the firm confidence which the Holy Spirit works in our hearts through the preaching of the gospel, then asks, what then must a Christian believe? The answer is, all that is promised to us in the gospel. 
The Bible is a book of promise. The Bible is not only a book that points out to us our sins and misery, but also shows us the way out of our sins and misery. Therefore, the Catechism says that a Christian must believe all that is promised us in the gospel. And there are indeed many, many promises in the gospel, promises in the Bible. And you know them. There are many of them. Just to mention a few, forgiveness of sins, eternal life, the Father's care, salvation in the Son, renewing power of the Spirit, the promise of new heaven and new earth, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, and so on. All these promises go back to the mother of all promises, which God already gave to man immediately after man fell in paradise, even before God expelled man from paradise. Already in Genesis 3.15, in the so-called mother promise, God promised that one day he will have again a people for himself, which he will accomplish in his Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes, our Almighty God bound himself to us, man, with a promise. Therein we see the heart of our God, his heart of love for his creation, but particularly his heart of love for man, the crown of his creation. God desires to be with his people once again, to have people all around him once again. It's just like a mother loves and enjoys having her children close to her and around her and near her. So the Lord God loves to have his people around him. He loves that. He enjoys that. He wants to dwell with his people again. And so the Lord God bound himself to us with a promise. And therefore the Bible, as a book of God's promises, is all about God himself promising of himself, revealing himself to us, for us. Now, how has God revealed himself to us in the Bible? Well, anybody who reads the Bible will notice that God, the Bible speaks about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The problem comes when a person tries to understand the relationship between these three persons of the one true eternal God. <clears throat> and yet it is one of the most fundamental doctrines of God, and thus of Holy Scripture and of our Christian faith. Being so fundamental, the Catechism deems, deems it very necessary to first deal with this doctrine before going into the various persons of the one true eternal God, and how the three persons of the one true eternal God is of particular comfort and joy to us with respect to our salvation. And so, brothers and sisters, I may proclaim to you the word of God this afternoon as follows. Our faith and our comfort is in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit as three distinct persons and as one true eternal God. So first of all, our faith and our comfort is in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit as three distinct persons. But this doctrine of the three persons of the one true eternal God is theologically known as as a doctrine about the Trinity of God, or the doctrine about our triune God. Both the word Trinity and, and triune are attempts to express an understanding about our one true eternal God, about his nature, about his being, about how he exists uniquely within himself. Both these words, Trinity and triune, you will not find in the Bible. Yet the truth of the Trinity is firmly rooted in the Bible. 
You see, the early Christian church used these words to express and confess a truth about God, which God himself revealed about himself in his holy word. These words were first used by one of the early church fathers named Tertullian around the year 200 A.D. It was in the face of various heresies that the early Christian church was forced to defend and confess and formulate the doctrine of the Trinity concerning God as clear as possible. We find these confessions and defenses of the Christian faith, particularly with respect to the doctrine of the Trinity, in our Nicene Creed, and especially in the Athanasian Creed, parts of which we read this afternoon. Now, obviously, the word Trinity comes from the words three in unity, thus the meaning three in unity. The word Trinity would then particularly stress the idea of unity of the three persons. The word triune might be a better word, as it gives a clear expression of the depth of this unity. Namely, this unity is not, this three-in-one unity is, is a complete oneness, not just a unity, a cooperation, or an alliance, a, a partnership, but a complete oneness. For our God is one God. That particularly comes out better in the word triune. Now, when we speak of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, it is logical and natural and understandable that a person not knowing better and not yet having received the wisdom and the Spirit of God would say that we believe in three gods. There are other faiths that will do that. Take, for example, the Muslim faith. They say that we are trias. They are worshippers of three gods. We are polytheists. And therefore, we had the question in the Heidelberg Catechism, since there is one God, why do we speak of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Doctrine concerning our triune God is not easy to understand. There are those who try to explain the Trinity by saying that Trinity is the doctrine of God consisting of three persons. Then God is like, like a tree, consisting of leaves and branches and roots. All are distinct, one from the other. All had their own function, yet one in that it is all one tree. Without the one or the other part, it cannot be called a tree, at least not a living tree. Yet that is not a good understanding of the three persons of the one true God. For Trinity is not a doctrine of one God consisting of three persons, but a doctrine of God existing in three persons. Others have tried to explain the Trinity as when a man and a woman marry, then they are just two people. When they receive a child, then they are three distinct persons, yet one unit, one family. Edison tried to explain the triune existence of God as, as a triangle. There are three separate angles, yet each is always part of the whole triangle and never separated from it. Also, this illustration doesn't do justice to the oneness of our God. In the end, every teacher and every preacher, when attempting to explain and illustrate the, the triune existence of our God, must throw up his hands in the air in frustration, for he realizes that there's no illustrations here on earth that adequately illustrate the truth about God's existence as he exists in himself, that even comes close to understanding how God's unique existence is as one God in three persons. 
In every illustration, there's an aspect of his triune existence that will not receive sufficient justice. Brother and sister, that is because the phenomena of three in one and one in three is beyond the understanding of the human mind. How can the three be in one while yet remaining distinct? And how can one be three and yet remain one? That is beyond our human understanding. It is just simply impossible for our human mind to come to a complete and satisfactory understanding of the three-in-one and one-in-three doctrine and reality of God's existence. In the words of King David, we must exclaim, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Uh, yet, brothers and sisters, oh, we cannot fathom the height, the width, and the depth of the glorious majesty of God's existence in himself that should not cause us to set aside the study of this doctrine. We may not shy away from this glorious, though unfathomable doctrine of our God. For then we will do us a great injustice. And we will, not, we will do ourselves great harm and also a displeasure to our God. Further, it can also be said that while it is difficult to understand the triune existence of God, yet the one person of the Trinity does give us a better understanding about the other persons of the Trinity. The Lord Jesus gave us a more fuller picture of our Heavenly Father, He being the glory of the one and only who has come from the Father. And so the Holy Spirit gives us a deeper understanding of the Father's love and care and of the Son's sacrifice for us. The Lord Jesus spoke about that in John 14. Further, our one God coming to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is also a great comfort to us as each person of God's triune existence has something to offer us. Then you could say it's just like, like you children when, you have a, when it's your birthday and you have, have a birthday party and you want to invite a lot of kids to your birthday party because then you get a lot of presents. So too, God coming to us in three persons has a lot to offer us. It's very rewarding to us. It's very comforting and encouraging and very rich for each person of the one God has something to give to us. And God the Father comes to us as our Creator God and our Father God, protecting us, providing for us. Each time I come back from, from Papua New Guinea and drive down to 401, I'm amazed. Sometimes 8 to 12 lanes full of cars. Imagine all the fuel that's being used up at one moment. This goes on day and night, and this is just one city. Where does all the fuel come from? Who provides that? God is an amazing God. There are many ways you can stand amazed with God. We just had a, a downpour of rain. How much water can you carry? You don't want to have too big a bucket because you can only carry so much water. But when you look at the clouds full of water, who is holding up all that water? God is an amazing God. A marvelous creation and so immense is this universe in which we live. And yet he maintains minute control of every little aspect of it. This God has promised not only to take care of you and me so that not only we receive rain and sun day and night just like every other creature he created, but he has promised to become and has become our Heavenly Father, is now our Father through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
Boys and girls, don't you look up to your father? Don't you feel secure and comforted when you, when you see your father, how strong your father is and how well he takes care of your family? Then what about your heavenly father who created all things, who created you too and has all things in, in his care? What security, what comfort we have knowing that he is our God, he is our heavenly father. Once again, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Even though we cannot see him with our own eyes, we have comfort and security in our Heavenly Father because he has made himself known to us in the scriptures as a faithful God and Father, faithful to his covenant promises. We see that so clearly in the, in the promises of his Son to become our Savior. We can trust and rely on his love and faithfulness and in all his promises to us. Now God our Father is called the first person in God's triune existence. Not because he is more important than the Son and the Holy Spirit, but because all things begin with him. God the Father exists in and of himself. As the Lord Jesus bore witness concerning the Father in John 5, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And so we have come to the Son. The Son is generated of the Father. That is, the Son of God is not made, nor created by the Father, but begotten of the Father, meaning brought forth, gave birth to the Son, out of his own very being. How the Son comes forth from the Father without a mother, or how Father and Son can be co-equal and co-eternal when one comes forth from the other, that is beyond our comprehension. But our God is an incomprehensible and unfathomable God. Believing our God to be such a God, we will then not ask such questions and inquire beyond our capacity. Then with the Belgic Confession, Article 13, we confess, as to his actions surpassing human understanding, we will not curiously inquire further than our capacity allows. But with the greatest humility and reverence, we will content ourselves that we are pupils of Christ who have only to learn those things which he teaches us in his word without transgressing their limits. Also, the existence of the second person within God's triune existence gives us great comfort and joy. For through the Son of God, not only do we have confirmed to us that God the Father is faithful to his promise in sending his Son, showing thereby how much he truly loves us, for he offered up his one and only Son, but also we have the forgiveness of our sins and hope of eternal life confirmed to us in Christ's death and resurrection. And last but not least, the Holy Spirit is commonly known as the third person of the triune existence of God, of the Trinity. Not because of a, of a signed executive order or a system of priority, but only because the role of the Holy Spirit plays in the overall redemption of man as the fulfillment of the Father's promise in the history of salvation worked out by God for man's salvation. All three persons are equally and eternally in God, and each person partakes of the entire one divine being from eternity and to eternity. The Holy Spirit is the, the spirit and the breath of God. Thus, whereas the Son is the begotten of the Father, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. 
in the spirit God moves about has his being exists. And God also gave a small portion of his spirit at the time of creation so that man might also live and know his creator. As Moses wrote in Genesis 2 verse 7, the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Thus the constitution of man was now not only of material matter, but also of spiritual matter. He now not only had a body, but also a soul. Man could thereby truly know God, love him, and live of him eternally. However, as we know from Genesis 3, man sold his soul to the serpent, to the devil. Yet in that very same chapter of Genesis, God tells us how he will again redeem the soul of man and claim the soul of man for himself once again. He does, through, he does that through his Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it is in this Spirit who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who now lives in us and renews our lives in Jesus Christ, so we might once again walk in faithfulness before the Lord Almighty. As the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who lives in you. And so as the most basic summary concerning this doctrine of Holy Scripture, the Apostle Creed speaks about God the Father, our creation, God the Son, our redemption, and God the Holy Spirit, our sanctification. We must never confuse the works of the various persons of the one God. There is perfect unity and oneness, but not such that there is no distinction of persons within the one true eternal God. Thus, it is not the Father who died on the cross, but the Son. And so also is not the Son who created, but the Father, while the Father does so through the Son and in the Spirit. And so also, without the Holy Spirit, the Father does not work in our hearts, for he works in our hearts only through his Holy Spirit by his Word. Each person of the triune God has a particular function for the good of man's salvation. It is because there are distinct persons within the one true God, each with a distinct function in relation to man and his salvation, that we are also baptized. We'll see that again also this afternoon in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each person of the triune God speaks personally to you and to me and has distinct promises for each of us. The Father promises to be our Father. He adopts us as his children, heirs. Our Lord Jesus Christ promises to wash us all our sins away in his blood and unites us in his death and resurrection. And the Holy Spirit promised to dwell in us and make us living members of Christ's church. Further, because there is distinct persons and distinction in function, we also receive the blessing of our Lord in three names in the benediction at the closing of our Sunday services. May the grace of Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Clearly, our God exists and has revealed himself in three distinct persons for our benefit. Yet let us never overemphasize any of these three persons at the cost of the unity of the three persons as one true eternal God. Sometimes that happens today. By those who would put too much emphasis on Jesus, for example, at the cost of remembering the grace of our Father who sent the Lord Jesus for our salvation. 
Some evangelical groups are in danger of doing that. Or by those who put too much emphasis on the Holy Spirit, as Pentecostals tend to do that. While confessing that God has revealed himself in three distinct persons, we must also confess and protect the unity and oneness of God in our confessions. For the three distinct persons are one true eternal God. So this brings us to the second point, that our faith and comfort is in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit as one true eternal God. And so the Catechism asks further, since there is one God, why do we speak of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And it gives us answer, because God has so reviewed himself in his word that these three distinct persons are one true eternal God. And so, brothers and sisters, we believe something that is beyond our human ability, simply because a book tells us so. Just think about this for a moment. We believe in a triune God because a certain book tells us so. For you and me, that's not a problem. Most of us have grown up with this teaching. We've been taught it from, from childhood on, and we accept it even though we don't understand it. We accept it because the Bible tells us so. That's wonderful that we can do that. Especially when we can do it not because mom and dad told us this, but because the Holy Spirit has, already, has also convicted our hearts that the Bible is a true word of God. And so also all the teachings in the Bible is true, including this doctrine concerning God's triune existence. However, if you really stop to think about it, that is quite something, isn't it? Just to believe something that is beyond human understanding just because you read it in a book. Just imagine having a discussion with an unbeliever and you tell him that you believe that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he'll say, where do you get that from? He says, from a book, from the Bible. He would then likely then say to you, you mean you believe something simply because a book tells you that? Then you realize that your belief that the Bible is a true word of God and thus also your belief in the Trinity is a gift from God. It's a precious gift from God. The working of God's gracious spirit in your heart. For without, for you will not be able to give any factual proof of God's triune existence outside this book, outside the Bible itself. And you will not be able to illustrate and explain it without running into trouble. You will not be able to convince anyone about the triune existence of God who has not received the Spirit of God. It is as the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolish to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The only proof of the reality of God's existence as three persons of one God can be found in the Bible, which only the spiritual man can discern. It is a gift of God that we can believe the unfathomable, the incomprehensible, simply because the Bible, God's breathed out word, tells us so. And therefore, brothers and sisters, we must be careful not to question this doctrine of Holy Scripture, which some people may do. For questioning this doctrine would then put your own faith in jeopardy. For this very first doctrine we come to as we are about to examine the doctrine of Holy Scripture, as they're summarized for us here in, in the Apostles' Creed, immediately demands 
our total submission to the Word of God, our complete trust and belief that the contents of the Bible is, as it were, written by God himself. The Word of God itself gives testimony to this, as the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy. All Scripture is God-breathed out and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And as the Apostle Paul also wrote to the brethren in Asia Minor, no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The doctrine of the Trinity will indeed cause separation, will indeed cause division, for this doctrine cannot be understood by human reasoning. We accept it for truth simply because God tells us so in his holy word. Right from the beginning, God requires childlike faith, humble submission to what he says, regarding, regardless of our understanding, which is so crucial for the acceptance of all of doc God's doctrines and the promise and obligation of God for man. Now, in his word, God himself gives proof of being one God in three persons. And that is the only place where you will find that God is one and that he is one in three persons, only in the Bible. So first of all, already in Genesis 1, verse 26, when God was about to create man, God spoke in the plural, although he is a singular God. He said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Secondly, the Jews were known for their strong confession of faith in the one God. They recited repeatedly the Old Testament confession of faith, known as the Shema Israel, as found in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And thirdly, the Lord Jesus, when questioned by the teachers of the law in Mark 12, as a true Jew, also quoted from these verses in Deuteronomy pointing out the first part of the summary of the law. Fourthly, the unity of God is also expressed in the use of the divine names, attributing each of the three persons of the one God. For example, when Isaiah prophesied about the birth of the Lord Jesus in Isaiah 9, verse 6, he said, And he that is the Son of God will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So here you see that the Son of God is also given the title of Everlasting Father, a title that is normally used for the first person of the Trinity. And he's, the Son of God is also called Wonderful Counselor, a title that the Lord Jesus used for the Holy Spirit, also as we read it in John 14. And fifthly, unity of God is also expressed in the divine works. The one person of the Trinity does not operate without the other also being active. There we see the unity. We already touched on this earlier. Scripture gives clear examples of this. For example, when God created all things, the Son and the Spirit were also present, were also active in creation, although creation is considered the work of the Father. Psalm 33, verse 6 points to the, to the activity of the Spirit when the Father created all things. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their story holds by the breath of his mouth. That is the Spirit. John 1 verse 3 points out that the Son was active as well when the Father created all things. 
Through him, that is, through the Son, all things were created. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Likewise, God in all three persons were active at Christ's birth, as well as Jesus' baptism. In Christ's birth, in Luke 1, verse 35, we read, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, Mary, and the power of the Most High, that is, the power of the Father, will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. All three were active. In baptism of the Lord Jesus, the Spirit of God descended like a dove, lightning on him, that is, on the Lord Jesus. And a voice from heaven, that is, the voice of the Father, said, This is my Son, with whom I am well pleased. Plenty of proofs, would you not say? Clearly, God is one. As we saw, the scripture pointed that out with respect to the names as well as to the works of the one true God. Even when there are distinct works, the one true God is involved as one God. There is unity in Trinity and Trinity in unity to use the words of our Athanasian Creed. But brothers and sisters, this unity of God in three persons must also be appropriated by us in our everyday life of worship and praise of God. That is, it must affect our daily lives. It must touch our daily lives. The triune existence of God must touch us. We need to do something with this. And indeed, as we see the great benefits of the three persons of the one true God in our lives, God must then also be praised by us for being our Father, caring for us and providing for us, and for being our Savior, washing our sins away and opening the door to heaven for us, and for being our sanctifier, preparing us for heaven and standing by us in our time of need. But there's also more. Praising God as a triune God must also have a practical consequence in how we, we relate to each other as brothers and sisters in the Lord right now. For example, we can read in 1 John 4, verse 20, If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. So we cannot claim through the Son to have God as Father without having the love of God's Spirit within us for one another. For God is one. It is precisely because God is triune that a Christian cannot say to a needy brother or sister, go and be happy, as we read in John, uh, James 2. If you love God as your heavenly Father and expect all good from him, then you will also love Christ's church, the brothers and sisters and every member thereof, helping each member in their time of need. That is the practical reality and application of the triune God in our lives. We cannot have God as Father without having the love of the Spirit, Christ's Spirit, within us. Therefore also, in our baptism is in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. While each promises rich promises, yet there is but one demand, one obligation to the one God, that is that we cleave to the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to trust him and to love him with our whole heart, soul, and mind, and with all our strength. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in this revelation of God, of himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
he not only gives us tremendous knowledge of himself, of his goodness, of his greatness, of his love, but also equally demands of us obedience and faithfulness to his holy will and word, as he has given that to us in the Bibles, but also holy love for one another. So let us always be found responding in increasing thankfulness, obedience and faithfulness to God and our love for one another, as he has revealed himself to us in the scriptures so richly as being one God and three persons, and being three persons yet one God, with every rich and glorious treasure that comes with that, for this life to our comfort, and for an eternity to our glory. Amen.